Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. Well, where do we start? This is Al Sacco and Zane Nappy here for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And how do we even begin to explain six straight losses, the last five by a total of 13 points? And these losses have been in the most frustrating way possible, including two more than questionable offensive pass interference calls that set the team back when they were driving late in the game and to set up possible game-winning field goals. But this isn't just bad luck. The 49ers have done a lot of this to themselves as well. Penalties, drop passes, missed tackles. In fact, 59 missed tackles this year, which is second worst in the league. And they had 17 alone in, in week six, which is just atrocious. So a lot of these wounds are self-inflicted. And now what happens? Well, wins and losses don't matter anymore. Not this year. And if you have any doubt about that, the release of Navarro Bowman should have relieved them. And now 2017 Zane is about 2018. Yeah, and I don't think it's a I don't think it's a lost season. Some people are saying, ah, oh, the season's lost and and why did they release Bowman and why are they starting Bethard? And it, it's just it just out it comes down to progression. And this team, they're getting close. Like they're they're right on the cusp. And it's it's very frustrating to watch that the fact that these guys probably should at the very least be five hundred. If and 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 that both games actually that you just mentioned, the Rams game and and this past game against the Redskins, I don't want to put it on one guy, but one thing that people don't realize is Robbie Gold missed an extra point in the first in the first game against the Rams, and he missed a field goal against the Redskins, and really that kind of puts you right there. So uh, this, it's one thing here or there that's that's not going their way, and and I said last week that the ball would bounce their way, and I thought that they would they they would get blown out in the first half they were, so they definitely performed better than than I expected them to, and and now you have a rookie starting at quarterback, so we'll we'll see what he has. And we'll get into the big story, which to me is is the Navarro Bowman release and also CJ Beathard taking over at quarterback. And the rest of the season, I think, is about players and not wins and losses. So we'll talk Bowman. We'll talk Beathard. We'll talk about the Eric Armstead injury. But before we do, we got to talk to Mike Silver, uh, formerly of Sports Illustrated and currently of the NFL Network. And Mike's one of my fa- favorite analysts and has been for a long time. So when I found out he was coming on the show, I, you know, I was thrilled. And we got to talk about the refs, which are... A big point of contention for me. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, Joe Montana and Steve Young because he was covering the 49ers at the time and he, he had some cool stories about that. We talked Kirk Cousins, Kyle Shanahan. Um, we talked about the Bowman release and we even talked Colin Kaepernick, which is a subject we haven't really talked about much on the show. But I did ask Mike a little bit about Cap and it was awesome to talk to him and I cannot wait for everybody to hear it. So here we go. <laughs> Our guest really needs no introduction. He spent 13 years with Sports Illustrated and authored over 70 cover stories during that time. He's currently part of the NFL Network team. He is Mr. Mike Silver. Mike, thanks for the time. Well, I may need no introduction, but if you want to keep going, that's, that's, <laughs> I'm Just not going to stop stick, right? you. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's good to be here. How's it going? It's going great. I wish, you know, we all wish the Niners were doing a little better, but, you know, feel like we're close. So taking yeah, it week by I week. I mean, I, I, I'm amazed that two potential epic victories could be derailed by offensive pass interference calls uh, that weren't hit you over the head blatant so charitably. And, uh, you know, I, it could be a lot different if they were two and four. I mean, that Rams win would have been an epic win. Coming back with a quarterback change and, and winning in, you know, Washington would be. Uh, an epic win. So I agree. I think it's looking a lot better, but it is frustrating for the fans. Now I'm going to go off script here a little bit, Mike, because you just brought up something that's, that's kind of been bothering me just as a football fan. And and, and that's the officiating. And we've seen this, we saw it in the Niners game, like you said, with the pass interference, and we saw it in the jets and the Pats game, whatever that call was the officiating at the end of these games, it's, it's costing teams and they're calling these ticky tack, not very blatant calls at all. What are your thoughts on that? Am I making too big of a deal of this or, or is this an issue right now? Well, you don't want the refs to be the story of a game, ideally. So if you get in these late game situations and something blatant happens, it happens. But ideally you don't want the little things to decide them. Now teams can, kind of be cognizant of that and, you know, uh, take liberties under the 
uh, theory that the refs don't want him decided. But, you know, I think you err on the side of not being the story of the game. And so, you know, I grew up a 49er fan, and you think back to the 1983 NFC Championship game uh, in Washington, so convenient. Uh, they're down 21 nothing. Redskins are heavy favorites. Um, they are just completely dominating the game. And then Joe Montana gets hot, and all of a sudden it's 21-all, and we're looking at what would have been one of the epic, epic uh, comebacks in NFL history. And that was a game that was decided by two late uh, calls. One, a defensive pass interference on Eric Wright on third down, but as a Niner fan at the time, I will say was ridiculous. Uh, and an even more ridiculous defensive hold on the next third down on Roddy Lott, where a receiver was pushing into him, and Ronnie literally had his hands up as if to say, look, I'm not holding, I'm not holding, and they called it anyway. So, uh, you know, you can't have these things back. They change legacies, they change careers, people get fired, and, uh, you know, I guess, you know, I, I believe that usually these things even out, and sometimes they go for you, and sometimes they go against you, but when they're game-deciding or season-deciding or career deciding in some cases when people get fired, uh, they are regrettable. And so I look at these two calls that have happened to go against the Niners. I don't think it's going to change the season, but uh, you wish that if they were going to call offensive PI in those specific situations, that it would be a little more blank. I know you've been around Bay Area sports for a while, and you you know you were with the Press Democrat before you went to Sports Illustrated, and, yep. and you were covering the Niners when they made that transition from Joe Montana to Steve Young. What do you remember about that transition and the feelings sort of around the organization <laughs> and amongst the fans as they went from one legend to another, but you know it wasn't necessarily a smooth deal? Well, I mean, it was a crazy thing, and I, I laugh sometimes when people now, you know, on social media or in the public discourse will comment on a potentially awkward situation, you know, like, Oh, what if Roger Goodell had to hand the Lombardi trophy to Tom Brady or, Ooh, this is going to be awkward. These two former teammates. And I'm thinking you have no idea what, uh, you know, what went down. And, you know, <laughs> Steve, Young, Steve Young told me a, a really great story, which was that he was talking to Aaron Rodgers uh, one day and, Green Bay, and uh, Aaron was talking about, uh, you know, winning MVP, and I think, you know, in the 2011 season, and uh, he said something like, you know, and he was going through it, and he said, hey, um, let me ask you a question. When you were doing all this, where was Brett? And Aaron was like, huh? And he's like, yeah, well, <laughs> where was Brett when you were winning MVP? And he said, well, I guess he was home in, in Hattiesburg at that point because, you know, he had finally retired. And Steve said, yeah, Joe was standing on the sidelines while I was winning MVP. <laughs> Imagine that. And, uh, you know, it, it was not an orthodox situation. So, you know, for people who don't know the story well, uh, Joe Walsh traded for Steve Young who had been uh, a huge prospect but had gone to the USFL and now ends up in the NFL with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who at the time were absolutely atrocious. Steve once got a kick out of one of my lines, which was I said that back when he was the quarterback of the Buccaneers, it was like leading ABBA into a battle of the band, <laughs> uh, you know, against Pearl Jam and the Stones. So it, it was, uh, you know, it was a weird time, and Bill Walsh went and got Steve Young, and that coincided, it turned out, with period where Joe had a serious back injury and uh, suffered some playoff losses, and one of them in 87 with the Niners as a home favorite and a number one seed, getting beaten by the Vikings. Steve Young came in late and made some stuff happen, so it was a very weird backdrop, and in 88, they were kind of... Bill Walsh was kind of throwing Steve in for some games and saying Joe was fatigued, and Joe ended up leading them on a run when they hit the brink at 6-5 and five late in the season, winning a third Super Bowl, and then 
having a monster season in 89 and, and winning the fourth. But then after they lost the 1990 championship game, I, Joe went out with a sternum injury and a broken hand, which Joe told me Leonard Marshall literally grabbed and broke on the way down from that ball. Uh, and they lost at home to the Giants in, at the end in, in the 1990 championship game. And then Ronnie Lott and Roger Craig left via Plan B free agency. And uh, Joe spent almost two seasons uh, out with elbow issues. And Steve Young emerged as a passing champion and then an MVP. Uh, Joe Montana did come back and play the second half of their meaningless end-of-the-season Monday night game in 92 and played real well, meaningless because the 49ers had already clinched. And then Steve Young uh, started and lost the game. They were upset in the 92 championship game against the Cowboys with Joe standing there now active. So uh, very weird situation. Um, They ended up trading Joe and... Then in 93, Steve Young, another monster season and another NFC Championship game defeat to the Cowboys. And so even then, as great as Steve Young was, uh, an MVP, a passing champion, a guy playing at a very high level, he really hadn't won the crowd. Uh, Joe Montana took, in very magical fashion, a franchise that had never been able to win in a city that had never won a professional sports championship and created magic. And he was near and dear to the hearts of fans. And there were very stylistic differences. There were big stylistic differences between him and Steve. And Steve wasn't uh, reading defenses by the book. And he was improvising a lot and and running and uh, making things happen in an unorthodox fashion. And, uh, a lot of tension between them. Joe felt very chafed by what he thought was Steve's kind of like the juxtaposition between his goody two shoes image and his uh, very intense maneuvering behind the scenes to try to uh, get on the field. And and Steve felt real stung by Joe because uh, you know he really looked up to him as a legend and felt not supported. And I'm someone who was tight with both of them and, you know, certainly understood it from both perspectives and, uh, you know, was trying not to take sides. And back then, working for the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, which was not widely circulated in Santa Clara, I I was kind of able to straddle the line. But uh, I remember, you know, talking to many, many 49er fans or going on the radio and having people tell me how, Steve Young was no good, and he just wasn't doing it the right way. And I, I remember that I'd go to other cities, and fans and other people would say, oh, my God, I love that guy. He's amazing. I'd be like, yeah, they don't really like him in the Bay Area. Uh, <laughs> I, I would kill for that guy. So, you know, but really, then you go to 94, and a lot of pressure, and they had that incredible game very early in 94 where, the Niners went to Kansas City, a very surreal game, and Steve Young uh, lost to Joe, got pummeled by Derek Thomas and Neil Smith of the Chiefs, and just, you know, unbelievably tough player, hung tough, and, and won a lot of uh, respect from the Niners the way he hung in there, and Joe played an almost perfect game and, and won, and then, of course, the year ending with the Niners getting to the Super Bowl, Steve Young eclipsing Joe's record with six touchdown passes, winning MVP, and from that point on, uh, finally had won the crowd. So uh, incredible memories with those two, and uh, uh, it was more tense than I think modern-day fans would, would believe or understand. And it's crazy to think now that Steve Young would get any kind of criticism seeing the quarterback play the 49ers have had for the past 15 years. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been bad and that position continues to be in flux. And it's curious, Mike, I'm curious, Mike, the, the name we keep hearing is Kirk Cousins. 
And if you're the 49ers and Cousins does become available, what do you do if they're them or what do you think they're going to do? Do they chase him? Do they go after a quarterback which is going to, with what is going to probably be a high draft pick? Or do they go with C.J. Beathard? How do you see that playing out? Well, I guess the short version for me is whatever Kyle wants. And I don't always say that, but, you know, they went and got Kyle Shanahan largely because of his expertise with quarterbacks and offense. and. Uh, they gave him a six-year deal and John Lynch, too, by the way, which is a statement from Jed York that, yes, I know I've been, you know, criticized, understandably, for having two one-and-dones after uh, a very successful coach uh, was excised. And, uh, you know, this is my statement to them and to you that I am making a long-term commitment that these are the right people. So. That's rare in, in the NFL, and it doesn't mean it couldn't blow up after two years, three years, if things were terrible, but I think it's a strong sign that it was. So if you got Kyle Shanahan for that reason, uh, you listen to him on quarterbacks, and especially as it pertains to Kirk Cousins, because look, I can tell you what I think. Uh, to me, Kirk Cousins is one of those guys who, you know, has that epic game on a nationally televised stage and looks great. And you go, wow, maybe this is the guy. And maybe he is really, you know, the type of quarterback who can carry a team to greatness. And then the next week or the next time he gets in that situation, just face plants and vice versa. Then when you start thinking, you know what, Kirk Cousins is not that good. He shows you how good he is. So that concerns me because the real, you know, it's a real dilemma for NFL teams when you get caught in the middle. In other words, if you're going to devote that much of your cap and uh, make that financial commitment to a quarterback, well, if it's Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or someone who can, you know, cover up any un- any resulting weaknesses uh, and elevate a team, yeah, of course you do it. Duh. And if it's somebody who who can't do that, you just don't do it and you don't pay them. But, you know, what do you do when you get in that Joe Flacco, Tony Romo, Jay Cutler, Matthew Stafford middle ground? And, you know, Matt Ryan probably would have fallen in there the last year, and some people would probably still put him in there. So uh, in that situation, you know, maybe it's better off not to. Now, you know, some teams get lucky or not really lucky, but you are fortunate enough to have a Russell Wilson early in his career who does that, and then you can build around him before you have to pay him. But, you know, the 49ers will have to decide whether paying what it takes to get Kirk Cousins um, is the prudent course of action, or if if you keep losing, you know, do you want a Sam Darnold or a Josh Rosen or, or one of these guys to build around. Um, the only thing I would say is Kyle knows Kirk Cousins better than all of us, and he's the guy who helped identify the traits that got him to Washington. And, and I know from communicating with Kyle, you know, from around the time of that draft and and throughout his time in Washington and even beyond, I, I know what he thinks of Kirk and, and why he likes him. So I guess the short answer would be, if Kyle believes in Kirk that much and Kyle believes he can get the most out of Kirk, then it might be worth spending the money it takes to get him. Now, the 49ers also uh, recently announced the release of Navarro Bowman, and he was really one of the faces of the franchise, and, and him being released, just, it seemed to all happen so quickly. What were your thoughts on, on why it happened and how the 49ers handled the situation? Well, football's brutal, and Things, you know, people who get on players for trying to leverage their situations into more money sometimes, you know, conveniently forget, A, that teams will do it right back, and B, that, you know, it can all go away very quickly. So, um, you know, here's a situation where, uh, you know, they drafted Ruben Foster. Now, obviously, there are some concerns there, which is why they got him where they did, and one of those concerns is, condition of his body and is he going to be injury prone and beaten down but um you know they feel good about that position again they have six-year contracts uh and i think probably when you get to the point where 
a player as significant as Navarro Bowman is clearly unhappy because he's not on the field as much as he was, you, you start to say, well, is it a negative to have a guy like that around? I'm not saying he's going to be a jerk about it, but just when a proud leader is clearly upset that he's not out there more, is keeping him around uh, going to, you know, hurt the vibe? And, you know, I think that's probably all of what went into their thinking. Uh, it sounds like they could have gotten a little something for him, but they chose to just, uh, under those circumstances, let him go and, and go where he wanted to go. And hopefully he doesn't have to move uh, now that he's going to the Raiders. Uh, I, do, I do think he could help the Raiders. Uh, but, um, again, I think you're looking at people who have a rarity in, in the NFL, people, new people who are coming in but seem to have the luxury of the support of ownership that will let them build it their way. Now, you look at Bowman, and he's certainly still a starting two-down linebacker anyway, and I, I was a little surprised that all it seemed that they really had on the table was a seventh-round pick for him. Did the salary create that much of an obstacle for the Niners in terms of trading him? Yeah, salary and timing, yeah. Uh, I think at this stage of the season, uh, teams probably... And, and honestly, I mean, I haven't watched them that closely, I, so I don't know what the film looks like. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, perhaps, perhaps we're all thinking of a guy who you know, was a different player pretty recently and maybe the film doesn't show that, but I can't say that's true either because I just, I really haven't watched them enough. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, teams are weird. I think, I think in general, teams overvalue draft picks. And so things that we think should be, you know, more enticing because of proven players being available tend to not be as enticing to other teams that, you know, I, I would, I would have a much different philosophy as a general manager. I'd probably be fired after you know, <laughs> a, couple, a couple of years, but I, w- I would not be subtle. I would, I would value proven players over the possibility of trying to find another one of these guys in the fifth round. The last question I wanted to ask you, Mike, and this is a topic that we've kind of avoided on the show, and that's Colin Kaepernick, but the story is not going away. Every time a quarterback gets hurt, we just obviously saw Aaron Rodgers, unfortunately, you know, breaks his collarbone, and, and Kaepernick, Kaepernick's name is going to come up, and he just filed a grievance against the NFL owners for collusion. Where do you see this all going? Is he done in the NFL, or at some point, are, are the owners going to kind of give in and maybe give him a second chance? Well, I don't think the 32 owners are collectively saying we're not going to give them a chance, which which is kind of what collusion suggests. But I don't know that that, but I don't know that that means, I, uh, you know, his grievance won't be successful. In a grievance, you have discovery, and if discovery showed, for example, one owner saying to another, you know, I don't think this guy should work in our league. Well, you know, I, I'm not a not an arbitrator, but it seems to me that it's, you know, something that uh, you know, there might be some something to fear on a league level and there might not. But uh certainly him filing a grievance shouldn't be the reason he can't get employment if you run a team and think he can help you win. But I, I guess let me just let me just circle back and say it this way. Um, is he one of the best 32 quarterbacks on earth right now? In my opinion, probably. Is he one of the best 64? Yes, 100%. There's no way he's not, right? Uh, is he a guy who had two pretty impressive playoff games against the Packers who uh, need a quarterback right now? Yes. Uh, I, so. You know, I do think there. I do think it's ridiculous that he doesn't have some team saying we think this guy can help us. And I know all the excuses uh, why it hasn't happened. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not of the opinion that 32 owners are sitting there saying we are not doing this. But clearly, in 32 individual cases. Nobody is pulling that trigger. So uh, I hope he gets a job. I hope uh, 
you know, I hope organically some team decides we think he could help us. Uh, when I see that the Tennessee Titans are bringing in, you know, four guys that they brought in and ended up signing Brandon Wheaton and won't even give the guy a workout, uh, you know, that feels unfair to me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I, I believe it's pretty preposterous to suggest that he's not one of the best 64 quarterbacks on earth right now. All right, Mike, this was a lot of fun. We thank you for the time, and hopefully we can do it again soon. All right, man, thanks for having me. All right, Mike Silver, everybody, thank you. Thank you again to Mike Silver. He's he's one of my favorite media personalities out, and I've been reading his stuff in Sports Illustrated since like my college days. Like it, he is definitely like one of those guys that is he's he's you know he's just when he talks it just makes sense, and I enjoy reading what he wrote. I enjoy hearing him speak, and he gives you candid answers. He's a straight shooter. He he will definitely tell you what he's feeling, and that's awesome. And I respect that. And he's he's one of my favorites. And his answer to me when I asked him about. Bowman the Bowman release and you know I said was money an obstacle and he said yeah money and timing and when this release happened you know the first thing you hear that's coming that's coming through is that okay they're looking to trade him and I, I really thought okay wow you know I, I kind of didn't see that coming yet I, I didn't necessarily think he was going to be there in 2018 but I did not see it coming for this year he can still play pretty well and, and they didn't have a lot behind him you know unless you move Foster there which is what they're going to do but didn't see that coming, and then it goes from training him, and I'm thinking, okay, they could probably get like a fourth-round pick, even a fifth-round pick. And you say, well, what's a fifth-round pick? Well, for a team that needs players, you know, a fifth-round pick is Trent Taylor. It's George Kittle. That's what they took in the fifth round this year. So it's guys that can come in and contribute if you draft well. And then I heard they were releasing him. My first thought was, what? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to release him? He's. Mm-hmm. I understand he can't cover the way he used to, but he's definitely definitely still a starting two down linebacker in the league i'm just thinking i understand his contract but my my initial thought was okay you pick up some of the money you you can't get something for him you you can't get something for you you're just gonna let him walk and it, it sounded like you know they, they had talked on monday and, and thursday night you know sort of everything came to a head with with him wanting out or whatever at least that's what it sounded like um and then by Friday, they let him go. And I was just kind of thinking, well, the trade deadline is not until the 31st. You can't wait a few days. You know, you can't wait and see what you can get from him. So, you know, maybe that was wishful thinking for me. And maybe I'm just assuming he was worth more than he was. But I will say this, I, the way that Lynch and Shanahan came out and, and they spoke to the media and the way that they handled it, I, I was very impressed with the, the way that they did that. It was very classy. They come across as a class organization. I think that looks good to other players when they see how they treated Bowman. Listen, Bowman meant a lot to this franchise, and he wasn't happy here, and he didn't have a future here. And you know, they kind of, for lack of a better term, did him a solid. You know, they said, "Okay, we're going to let you go. We're going to let you test the market. We're not going to trade you to a team you don't want to go to." And I, I heard that they had a seventh round pick from the Saints, which is just, you know, what's the point? Um, it, they ended up going through with that and just released Bowman. So. You know, it, it looks classy in terms of the organization, but to see Bowman go for nothing, it's, you know, kind of, he has to leave a bitter taste in your mouth with what he meant to the franchise. How can it not? The previous regime would have totally bungled this and, and all, a bunch of leaks would have come out and uh, this thing would have been a mess. But to credit to, to John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan for handling it the right way, I feel like they were transparent and they were honest with as honest as they could be without giving out too much information. And the story, then there are conflicting stories of, of how it went down when, when Bowman was not, not necessarily benched, but when his playing time was cut down, he wanted to play more than asked to be traded. And the 49ers had a couple of offers. They said, and one was the saints one that you, that you were talking about. And he didn't necessarily want to go to the saints. So the 49ers granted him a release to let him go wherever, wherever he wanted to. And, they didn't have to do that for him. I, granted, Navarro Bowman is like an iconic 49er, and he always will be. He was arguably the best linebacker in the league from 2011 to 2013. And the reason why I say arguably is because the guy that played next to him is also arguably the best linebacker in the league from that same period of time. So he was, he was on track. He, he's a four-time All-Pro selection, and the All-Pro team is not easy to get on. It's not like the Pro Bowl where fans just vote in. All-Pro is, is writers and your peers. So it's clear that he had the respect of his peers. 
But Al, right now, the the Navarro Bowman of 2017 is not the Navarro Bowman of of 2013 pre injury. He's he's not the same player anymore. He's only 29 years old. Granted, he's not an old player, but he just doesn't have the same quickness and lateral movement anymore. Like it just it was it was evident every single time. Like he missed more tackles this year. I've seen him miss more tackles this year than I had seen him miss in his entire career leading up to this. So while a lot of people don't like the fact that he was released. I think that the fact that Ruben Foster is there and the fact that you have a replacement, look, here's, here's my, my stance on releasing players out release, a, release a player a, if you're sure of it and B, if you have a replacement already in, in place for him, like if they didn't have Ruben Foster and they just released Bowman and they were st- starting Brock Coyle every week, then I would have been like, what, what are you doing? But Ruben Foster is there. He's, he's more than capable as a villain. I think he'll be a, a star in, what better way to get his feet wet than to basically give him the keys to the, the defense and be like, just do your thing. So it was a combination of things and they had to eat about $7 million of his salary to, to release him. But I think it was a combination of things because this is not like a for right now move. This is for the future as well. You see the way that they handle this and other players the whispers come around the league. Like they, they players talk, they agents talk, they share information on teams, so they're going to see how they handle this situation, and the word will get around. And that's positive, basically positive PR for the 49ers, which is what they really need. And as far as the Raiders go, what they get in Amara Bowman, I mean, they, they are in desperate need of defensive talent over there. They, they're in desperate need of linebackers. But again, they're not getting the Navarro Bowman of 2013. He's significantly slowed down. He's an upgrade over what they have, but he's not the same player. So I'm sad to see him go, but... I'm I'm happy for him that he got to choose where he wants to go, and I think that was fair for both sides. And when you think about, you mentioned how good he was at, at his peak, and the season I thought he was the best was 2013. Um, if you remember that year, you know Patrick Willis had some injuries, um, Alden Smith had his issues, and Ahmad Brooks had a great season that year, and and, and so did Navarro Bowman. I mean, Bowman, I thought I thought he should have been Defensive Player of the Year that year. Um, I don't think he got any votes. I, Luke Keekley had that amazing 20-tackle game, and I think they kind of overshadowed him at linebacker, and that wasn't fair. Because if you watch Bowman day in and day out, or week in and week out, I should say, like like we did, he was amazing. He was absolutely amazing, and I don't know that anybody had much better uh, better of a season than he had in 2013. And in the month of December that year, he was the only player in the last 20 years of that time who had 45 tackles, three sacks, two interceptions, a pick six, two forced fumbles and a fumble recovery in a calendar month. That's pretty amazing. Um, you know, for, for an inside linebacker putting up numbers like that. And and he was dominant and he was a, a great 49er. Um, it's, it's a shame that the injuries robbed him of, of probably what could have been a hall of fame career. And I don't think it is now just because, you know, he was hobbled and got hurt and I don't think there's enough longevity there. Um, but it, he was really on that trajectory. He was he was that good, and and I don't know maybe other than Patrick Willis, you know, in, in the league, if there was another linebacker who was better in that that three or four year period or whatever it was in Bowman, he he was amazing. And it kind of looked to me like when the team took the field on Sunday, and I'm interested to hear if you agree with this or not. They looked flat. Obviously, looked flat. They weren't playing well. But I'm interested. Do you think that was a holdover from sort of the sh- the shock of Bowman just being gone? in the blink of an eye like that he's there on just gone. Do you think that was a holdover from that? Of course. Yeah. I think, I think that's going to have an effect on the team. He was the leader of the team. He was the vocal leader. He was the heart of that defense. He was, he was, like I said, an, an icon and, and the young guys uh, for the young guys, he was a guy that, that they looked up to. So I'm, I don't doubt the fact that they, that they were affected by it. I mean, oh, we're talking about a guy who, who for, Again, for, for three years, he was just unstoppable. He was a monster. He closed, he closed down the stick with the, with the pick six. You know, he, he got the 49ers into the playoffs with that play. If they lose that game, then you know, they don't, we don't know if they make the playoffs. So we're talking about a guy that was so dominant that teams had to scheme for him. And he made everybody around him better. Him and Patrick Willis both made everybody around them better. And although he was a shadow of his former self, Still, it's just still that respect factor that, that man, this guy's, this guy's put in his work. He's earned that respect. So, of course, when you see the, the, a, a leader of a team leave like that, like it's, it's for sure going to have an effect on the team. It's un- undoubtedly going to have an effect on them. So I think that they came out flat and, and 
I agree with you. They they just come came out and and were on the defensive the entire time. Washington took it to them in the entire first half, and the only time when the 49ers really got up off the mat was when Brian Hoyer was benched and CJ Beathard was brought in. Yes, there was that spark. That's what I was going to lead into. Is is CJ Beathard came in and and he gave the team a spark. And it, it was evident they played different when he came in. And, and, and listen, Bethard, here's a third round pick who a lot of people said wouldn't be ready for a while. He comes in on the road. He comes in in a rough situation. And I mean, did he look like a rookie at times? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think he was lucky to not have a few passes picked off there. But overall, you got to be thrilled with what you saw at him. Thrilled. In the drives that he was in, the Niners punted. Uh, they scored a touchdown field goal, missed field goal. Touchdown, punt, touchdown, and then the interception to end the game when they probably should have kicked field goal, and I'll, I'll complain about that in a minute. Um, but when you see what he did, he just he made some big time throws, and, and he was plagued by the drops too. You know, the same as Hoyer was. Excuse me, but I love the play when he the touchdown strike to Eldrick Robinson, where he climbed the pocket, and you just saw him keep his eyes downfield, and he just he throws the bomb, and, and it's a big play. You know, he's not checking down on on third and ten. He, he he makes that big play. Um, it was exciting to see a quarterback, you know, go for it downfield and, and move around in the pocket, move up in the pocket, and make that big play. I was I was really excited to see it. Yeah, I thought I thought he he held his own, and he did do some rookie things, and and he made some rookie mistakes. But come on, we're talking about a guy who who has never started in the NFL, who's taken a grand total of one snap in the NFL, which he just turned around and handed off. So, a guy that had played has now played only two quarters, and. And Al, I got, I, I, I got a, I got a beef right now. I got, I have to, I have to say this. Like, there, there are people out there, both in the media and 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 all over Twitter and everything, and they're talking about how C.J. Beathard, uh, he, he struggled, and he's he's not that good, and he's an average quarterback, and he doesn't have an arm, and he's his mechanics are messed up. And look, everybody just needs to chill. He he had two quarters of playing time. You cannot judge. I don't care who you are. You cannot judge a quarterback by two quarters of playing time no matter how good or bad they play. So the fact that he had some rookie tendencies, yeah, that's going to happen. Name me one rookie quarterback who doesn't come in making rookie mistakes. It's not possible. And and the reason why this bothers me is because when Alex Smith first came in, people did the same thing to him, and they they criticized the heck out of him, and he was almost ruined because there's all this pressure on him from everywhere. The team felt it, he felt it. The, and and you can argue the same thing happened with Kaepernick too. When he started when he started going a little bit south, people were on him and and you know putting all this pressure on him and stuff. It's just just let the guy play, just let him progress. This is this is a guy who's never taken a snap in the NFL, and we're expecting him to come out and be Joe Montana. Like that's that's ridiculous. And the fact that people point to the interception at the end and be like, oh, he threw a pick. They were they he was trying to make a play. It was fourth and twenty. And look, I I I'm, I have nothing. I'm not for or against CJ Beathard. I'm a neutral party. Like I, I saw CJ play for the first time this weekend. It's not like I know the guy, right? But I just want everybody to to, you know, look at this at a in a really measured level way and see what see the good that he did and see the things that he needs to improve. And then come back and say that is he a mediocre mediocre quarterback or not after 10 more weeks. So you know before we move forward, I just wanted to to put that out there and I don't know I don't know if you've seen it too I don't know have, have you seen that sort of reaction I've seen a little bit I try not to pay attention to a lot of it because like you said with rookie quarterbacks and all I'm saying is in complimenting him is for like you said the two quarters we saw him I liked what I saw he made mistakes yeah his arm sometimes was a little nervous about some of the throws he was making um could have more zip on some passes but it's two quarters he's a rookie I thought he did great for the first two quarters and, and you made such a good point because people want these guys to come in now especially in today's NFL when we see like a Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck come in and play well right away. It's not the norm. Look, everybody called Jared Goff a, a bust last year. Why? Because he struggled in his rookie year. Like mm-hmm. you have to be patient with these quarterbacks and some quarterbacks may come in and take five games and play great. Other ones may take two years, three years. You know, Alex Smith took how long before he started really playing well, like you said. And I'm going to throw um, some numbers at you right now from a quarterback because I, I just happen to think of this guy when you mentioned it. It's and it was a bit of a different era, sure. But his first season, he went 0-11 on a bad team. 52%, 52.9% completion rate, 9 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. Second season, his record was 7-8, and 56% completions, 11 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. That guy would be getting called a bust every which way, right? Two years, you have two seasons like that? Mm-hmm. Troy, yeah. Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman. It's Troy Aikman's numbers. In, yeah. in today's day and age, with everybody reacting so quickly, you know, does Aikman get run out of town? 
you, you know, from, from those first two years, it's, it's crazy. You have to give these guys time. And yeah, people saying things like that, it's, it, it's absolutely nuts. And listen, we don't know what CJ is going to be. CJ might just be a backup in the league. We have no idea. Um, but Mike Silver brought up a good point. We can sit and debate about the, who the quarterback of the 49ers is going to be in 2018. The bottom line is, like Mike said, the quarterback of the 49ers in 2018 is going to be whoever Kyle Shanahan wants it to be. If yep. he wants to pay Kirk Cousins, that's who the quarterback's going to be. If he wants, if he likes what he saw out of Beathard and he wants to roll with him, that's what's going to happen. If they have, uh, you know, a top five pick, which it looks like they're going to, and he likes a quarterback there, that's what they're going to do. So it, it, it's almost crazy to to have these debates at this point because it, it's going to be what Kyle wants, and we do have to see what what Beathard has for the rest of the season. And listen, he may come out against Dallas and throw four picks. Mm-hmm. You know, they also have a week to prepare for him. Um, Washington didn't prepare for him. And a lot of times when a backup QB comes in and the other team hadn't prepared for him, he looks better than maybe he is. So we'll see, but there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be bumps in the road. You can't sort of take the temperature every week. You have to maybe look at his body of work towards the end of the year and say, okay, you know, here's maybe how we project Beathard, but wait and see. All you can say for right now is he gave the team a spark. The offense scored more consistently really than we've seen all season other than that Rams game. And hopefully the spark can continue. And, and listen, there's not a lot of talent on the Niners roster offensively. You know, Hyde and Garcon are there. Rather than that, like we've said before, it's rookies and backups. So for him to come in and do that against a really good, I think Washington's a good team. Um, certainly have a good defensive line, some good pieces on defense. It was impressive. And, and take it as a plus. It, it, it was finally a little bit of a glimmer of hope for the Niners. Yeah. And I think uh, it, it really comes down to what he was able to do, like you said, give him that spark because they could have very easily just gone in the tank and this could have been like a 40 point loss. Mm-hmm. If you look at, look at the other guys that were drafted ahead of him, like Mitchell Trubisky and Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Kaiser, all of these guys that were drafted ahead of him, how, how they performed in their first game. I would, I would argue to say that CJ Beathard was, was better than them all in his first game. And granted, like when you're the backup quarterback, you're, you're always the most popular guy in the room. But I think that, the fact that, like you said, that when he when he moved moved up in the pocket, and he found Aldrick Robinson down the field for that long touchdown, like it 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 showed it shows a little bit of maturity, right? Like there's not not a lot of guys will make that throw. Like as a rookie quarterback, you'll see guys take off before they make that throw. So was, I was really impressed with that. There were a few timing routes on the on the sideline that he hit George Kittle with that basically like he let go of the ball before Kittle was out of his break, and by the time Kittle reached the sideline, the ball was on him. I think that those those things are are encouraging you know we have to remember that this playbook is not even designed for cj bethard it's designed for brian hoyer so you're you're basically asking a rookie to come in and execute somebody else's plays so i you know i i'm going to reserve my my judgment personally until like you said we have a whole body of work but baby steps and and for now and to me he did have a bunch of positives in the game that he can build off of he didn't he didn't crap the bed he he held his own and and i think that the 49ers goal should be to still draft a quarterback next year or address the quarterback position next year but still also have a stopgap solution in case they don't sign like a Kirk cousins next year and they have to draft one and whether that's cj bethard or brian hoyer it matters not it's whichever got one of these guys can be a stopgap that's going to be the guy that's going to stay on the team next year and before we get into the Armstead injury, I, I mentioned I just I wanted to just at least say a little something about the refs. And I said this on Twitter, and I don't want to sound like the type of guy who's blaming the refs for you know teams losing and things like that because a million things happen during the game that can cause your team to win or lose. But when I see, and obviously I follow the 49ers closely, when I see two basically ghost offensive pass interference calls that get called at the end of games on drives towards the end of games, where that basically cost the Niners a game because you have to figure that Robbie Gould would have hit at least one or two of those kicks, right? I mean, so they at least cost the Niners at least one or two of those games. And they robbed the Niners of even trying to kick a field goal against Washington because it backs them up. You know, if that play doesn't get called at worst, they're probably talking a 58-yard field goal, which is very difficult to make. But still, at least you have a chance. And these plays at the end of games, these officials, if it's not 100% pass interference, why would you call it at that point? And did you see the play in the Jets and Patriots game? Where um the tight end I think it was um what's his name Ferry Jenkins or whatever his last yeah. name is, um yeah. what, what did they even call? I've never even seen that before. I've never yeah. even seen that before. 
I, I don't I don't know where like who's in charge of of the uh, official review. I think it comes from New York, I believe, in their their official review center or whatever they, the heck they call it. Um, but the Safarian Jenkins plays, I can't believe they didn't call it a touchdown. Like, yeah, he bobbled the ball, but it it doesn't matter. Like he he regained control. He didn't lose it. Like you can't. How do you call that a fumble? Like I mean, I right. mean, <laughs> is that is that what a fumble is now? When the guy bobbles the ball a little bit, like, I I just it's just beyond me. But I'm with you, and and I agree with what Mike said earlier um, in in the interview about not having the refs be a story. Like I I think that I think that when you take care of your own business, you don't let the refs be a story. So that's my first and foremost stance on it. But beyond that, it's just awful, awful, awful call. I can't believe. And for the people that say that, that it was a correct call, I want to, I want to ask them what is the definition of incidental contact? It means that when a, when a defender and a receiver are both going for the ball, and they make incidental contact or receivers going for the ball and it hits a defender on the way. Like it's incidental, it's incidental contact just because a guy hits another guy in the, uh, with the balls in the air. It doesn't mean that there has to be a flag one way or the other. And that's exactly what it was. Pierre Garcon, he was the intended receiver on that play. He, he was going for the ball. There was incidental contact with the defender and it should have been, there should have been no flag at all. There, not even offense, uh, not even defensive pass interference, no flag at all. It's just an incomplete pass, incidental contact next down. That's it. But the the referees, the, the, I, I said this against when uh, after the Rams loss, and I'm going to say it again: the NFL needs to pay these guys year round. They need year round officials that are in in the books twelve months out of the year. This part time stuff is not cutting it because it's not just the 49ers that are suffering; it's 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 every team that's suffering because of that. And the product is is partially poor because of the officiating because nobody knows the rules anymore. And nobody knows how to enforce them. It's it's ridiculous. Well, I agree hundred percent. You want to talk about ratings? When somebody tries to sit down and watch a game, and there's a flag every other play, and there's no rhythm to the game, that's what hurts the game. You know, that's why would you want to sit and watch if if there's a flag every two minutes and the play is getting stopped, or there's a big play and oh, it's coming back. You know, that sort of thing. Mm. That's what hurts. And I understand they want to make the game safer, but the penalties are the issue, which which I think are a lot of plays downfield, pass interference calls, offense pass interference calls, that type of thing. That has nothing to do with safety. Nobody's going to get a concussion from like hand checking or, you know what I mean, swatting at each other down the field. Like you've got to let these guys play. You know, I don't know what the answer is, and I don't know if it's going to hit mainstream media where it's a problem. And I don't know if I'm making too big of a deal out of it. I don't know. But to me, it's frustrating. And when I'm watching all the games on a Sunday or a Sunday night or Monday or whatever it is, I, I want to see it get decided on, on the field without the refs having a huge say in it at the end. And I understand they have to make their calls. I understand these guys are moving very quickly and it's difficult to do, but at the end of games, unless it's absolutely obvious, you've got to let these guys play. I, I don't even understand how it's a question. I, I, I don't, it's, it's really frustrating to me. So I don't know. Hopefully like I said at some point they'll pay these guys year round and it gets better. But right now, I don't know. It's not, not looking good to me, but all right, Zane. So Eric Armstead breaks his hand. Um, was his hand or his wrist? What did he break? It was his hand. It was left. His hand. He broke his hand. Okay. Um, and he's done for the year. And uh, he doesn't get a lot of, you know, I know people are frustrated with him and he doesn't stand out by any means, especially every year we hear in camp. Oh my God, he's so dominant and he, he hasn't been, but I don't think he's been bad either. Um, I think he's played okay. You know, I don't know that he's played like a first round pick, but he's, he's been okay. But another injury that's going to cost him most of the season don't know if he's the best fit in this four three. Is he coming back next year? I think he gets part of the year next year to to prove what he can do. But to say because the 49ers have so many draft picks and so much young talent, like his replacement's already there. Solomon Thomas is already outplaying him and 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 I'll get to Solomon Thomas a little bit later, but Eric Armstead has just been a to me, he's just been a huge disappointment. Like ever since ever since he got here. Like I didn't agree with the pick in the first place. Like I, I wanted Marcus Peters. And while hindsight is twenty twenty, like you, you knew that Marcus Peters was a better, a more complete player than Eric Armstead. Eric Armstead was like a developmental defensive tackle who had only been playing football for two years and and looks the part. The guy is huge and he's strong, but it just doesn't show on the field. Like this year, he has sixteen tackles and only one and a half sacks. And this is a guy who's been playing almost every single snap. He's been playing right right alongside Buckner. So you just you just need more. You need more out of your first round picks and and 
to me, like, I think that just the fact that he's been hurt will, will maybe buy him training camp next year just to see what he can do in a contract year. But I, I really think that, that John Lynch is not married to any of these previous regime picks. Like he's not afraid to cut guys. He's not afraid to trade guys. He's not afraid to get rid of guys that are, that are well-known names. So, you know, Eric Armstead is definitely on notice, but it really depends on what they do in the draft next year in free agency. If they can get some depth at defensive end and defensive tackle and just long line in general, then, then I think he's gone. I think the one thing that they're really missing is, is a, is an edge rusher. Like they have pretty much three of the same guy in Solomon Thomas, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead. And, and that's no, that's no sliding as Buckner either because Buckner is, is awesome and he's been all world and he's been great, but they have a lot of guys with the same skill set, So it's going to be interesting to see what they, what they bring in next year. And I think that's going to dictate whether you see Eric Armstead on the field next year or not. It'd be really interesting to see what they do there. And you brought up Thomas and he had another strong game and he's really starting to come along. And I, I don't ever know that he's going to be the flashy guy, you know, the, the guy getting the 10 sacks or, or mm-hmm. you know hitting the quarterback and you're like, wow, but I, he looks like he's going to be a really, really solid player and a really, really good player for a long time. So with him and Buckner on the defensive line, like you said, they just, once they get that rusher, it's going to be pretty dangerous there. And we're going to get to see hopefully Ruben Foster back on the field too. And I'm interested to see if along with putting Beathard in when, when Foster gets back on the field, listen, they had a lot of energy in week one with him out there. Really, really, really can't wait to see the level of energy with him back out there this week. Yeah. And just real quick on Solomon Thomas, I, I think that, I'm, I'm every week that I see him play, I'm, he's growing on me more and more, you know, he really, he's still making rookie mistakes, which, which rookies will do like on the, on the read option where Kirk Cousins kept it and came around the end and Solomon Thomas crashed down towards the running back instead of keeping contain. These are small, like rookie mistakes that guys yeah, will correct. Right happen. I agree. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You just look at the film and that's one of those things that, that is obvious, right? They'll be able to correct that. And the defense, the, the defense as a whole they're hanging in there. I mean, they're still undisciplined. Like if you look at if you look at every single play action fake, they're biting on every single play action fake. So there's a there's a point where being aggressive is actually hurting you. And I think they're they're towing that line. But as long as they're progressing, that's that's really, you know, that's how you learn, right? So I feel like guys like Solomon Thomas are really getting a nice education in, in NFL football and and the speed of the game and the speed of the players. So it's not about this year, right? Like I'm not expecting huge things out of anybody this year. I'm just expecting some progression and baby steps. And if Solomon Thomas can continue on his trajectory, he led the team in tackles on Sunday mm-hmm. and he had it. He had the only sack of Kirk cousins. He had two tackles for loss in the backfield. So he had his probably, I would say his best game as a pro on Sunday against, against the Redskins. So, or, or sorry, Washington football organization. Cause we're not supposed to say the name, right? So, <laughs> but um, I think that he, he's, he's going to come along and he'll be one of those guys that, is going to be like a six to eight sack guy, but a starter for many, many years. So um, I think he'll, he'll, he'll be a, a definitely a, a significant role player. And as far as Ruben Foster goes, man, I am so excited to see him back on the field. Like this guy is just a heat seeking missile. And now you're putting him at the mic position where he's, where he's actually probably more comfortable and you give him, you give him space to run around in, man, we're going to see, we're going to definitely see what he's got. And I think that this is great because it's six less or five less games of wear and tear on his body that he, that he's had this year. So he's going to come in, you know, lay some people out. So we're going to see what Ruben Foster has. And I think that everybody will be really, really happy. Good pieces on that defense, man. Buckner, Foster, Thomas, Ward, Tart. There's some good pieces there. They're really close. There are a couple players away, you know, obviously need a corner. Um, Need an edge rusher, a couple players away from really, really being a, a special defense. I think so. It's exciting to see. So yeah, and Al, like I gotta, I gotta ask you. Like you just mentioned, Duquaski Tart. Do you feel like with the shortage of linebackers, they're gonna start using three safeties on the field at one time? I mean, th- you see some teams doing that. Like Arizona does that quite a bit with Dale Buchanan. You, they have him down in the box, and it, w- it just makes sense just to have either Reed or Tart play play next to each other in the box and use one of those guys as an extra linebacker, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and Reed is certainly one of their you know best eleven defensive players, or however you want to put it. He, I think he should be out on the field as well. And if you can get those three guys out there at once, you know Ward, Tart, and Reed, uh, say go for it because the linebacker play has him good, especially in pass coverage. So 
you know, if that's something that Robert Sala can put together, yeah, you know, go for it. And I'm interested too to see, you know, what Eric Reed's future is going to be with this team because it looks like it looks like they're going to roll a tart at strong safety. That's what it looks like right now. Um, and I can't blame him. I mean, the arrows going up with him. You know, Reed's had a tough time staying on the field. Um, you know, his, his contract's up. They could end up rolling with tart here. I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. So, but um, Zane, who is getting your game ball this week? So my game ball will go to CJ Beathard and he, you know, he held his own. He threw for almost 300 yards. Like let's, let's think about this for a second. He threw for almost 300 yards in just a half and two minutes of football. So for 32 minutes of football, it was 200, just about 250 yards through the long touchdown to Aldrick Robinson led the team on two, two minute drives that were really impressive. One at the end of the half and one at the end of the game that preceded the, the last drive where he threw the pick. And he just like I'm I'm super happy with his progression. Like he looks he looks like he'd been there before. And he outplayed Kirk Cousins actually in the in the in the second half. The 49ers, they scored twenty-four all well, I mean, they scored seventeen of their of their twenty-four points in the in the second half, and they they won the second half. So I think that he's and he's in for those of you of you who don't know, Kyle Shanahan's named him the starter going forward. So I think that Hopefully, good things are in store for him, and it's a, it's a really good debut, and it's it's one of the definitely one that you can build off of. So CJ Beathard gets my game ball. I have to piggyback on you there and and do the same thing. You look at said he came in, he just gave the team a huge spark for his first you know real game action. He played really well. Um, just can't go any other way with my game ball. I I definitely have to go with Beathard too. We'll see what happens moving forward. Like we said, we don't know. Got to see how he rebounds, see how he does at Dallas. And and I was surprised that they went to him now. I thought it was going to be after the bye for for a lot of reasons. They're in a tough stretch right now with Washington, Dallas, and and then at Philly, which is going to be a really tough game. And then you get the bye, and then you have five of eight at home. So I thought that would be a nice transition for him at that point. But the team needed a spark. I credit Shanahan for seeing that and, and putting him in because, you know, they were dead men walking with with. Brian Hoyer there. There was no energy and, and credit Shanahan for seeing that and making a switch because it worked and CJ Beathard gets both of our game balls. Now for this week, um, I, I really want to pick the Niners to win a game and they are going to win a game that I keep saying it, that you don't expect them to win against a team. You don't expect it. And maybe that team could be Dallas. Oh, am I going to pick, you know what I am? I'm going to pick them this week. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. I'm going to say this is the week that, that they do it. They just, everybody's like, what happened? And everybody's going to be on the CJ Beathard bandwagon and the Niners are going to win this game. I'm going to say like, I'm say like 24 to 20. Uh, that's my prediction. <laughs> All right. Is that, how's that sound? That's, I mean, as much as, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, as much as I would love to beat Dallas, love, love to the 49ers have them beat Dallas, but I, I, I don't know. It's just, they, they're, I think that teams are going to have a little bit of film on CJ and, they're going to see some of his tendencies. Like usually when a guy has a really good first game, he kind of like comes back down to earth in the second game until, and it's a constant game of adjustments, right? Like the, the, the player, the, the offensive player will adjust and defense adjusts to that. And then offense adjusts to it more. So it's a constant like back and forth. And I think that he, CJ will play all right, but I don't think he's going to play as good as he did against Washington. So I'm going to say the 49ers lose and, you know, just for good measure, I'm going to say that they lose by two points. So they can continue this. <laughs> Keep digging the knife in. Yeah, yeah. Just continue this streak of, of ridiculous close losses. And I'm going to say that it knocks them out of field goal range at the end. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, get into, I think people could take that if it happened. You know, I picked them to get killed against Washington. Yeah. So I'll just go the other way. I'll pick the surprise. I've been saying they're going to get a surprise win. I'll say this is, this is the week. I'll say I this hope is you're right. Week. Look, just and, don't go. Like, just don't go in sixteen, man. That's all I ask. Just don't go in sixteen. They're gonna, they're gonna get a couple. They're, they'll, they'll, they'll get a couple wins. I, there's definitely some winnable games towards the end of the season, I think. Yeah. Um. So, it, I mean, zero in sixteen is not going to happen. They've been too close, and they've been. Too, you, you can't go from. I don't think to arguably you could be five and one to zero in sixteen. I just don't see it. They, there's got to be wins there somewhere. Somewhere it's, they have to get it. It's they're not the that bad of a team. It's the elegant tank, right? Like they're oh they're tanking, but they're looking good doing it, right? So it's the elegant tank. Is is that why they're dropping passes and missing tackles? Like lose, but don't lose by too much. So miss this tackle yeah. and yeah. and drop this pass. Yeah, they just they have to stop shooting themselves in the foot if they can ever yeah. put together a complete game. I mean, just one time. Yeah, 
just do one complete game, you know, mm-hmm. catch the ball, make the tackle, stop with penalties, just one complete game. I just want to see, but it's a young team. Got to live with it. We knew this was going to happen. And when they picked this roster and it had all these rookies and undrafted guys on it, listen, Shanahan Lynch are going to live and die with their guys. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing mistakes. You're seeing them work through the kinks. Like you, you meant had all those good examples of Solomon Thomas. That's what you're going to see out of rookies and, and young guys. They're going to work through their mistakes out in front of everybody, you know, with the bright lights on them. That's how they're going to learn. So that's what this team's doing. And, but that's all right. Cause they're going to win this week. You're going to win 24 20. I hope, I hope you're right. One of, again, one of us will be wrong this week. We'll see who yep. it is. See, let's see, let's see what happens. So, all right, Zane, another one in the books. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Mike Silver for joining us. It was a lot of fun to have him on. For Zane Nockby, this is Al Sacco. Thanks, everybody. Peace.